Hello and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. I'm Sam and as always I'm joined by Dave. Alright Sam. How's it going dude? Are you okay? Uh, I am well. I am living at large in lockdown life. Six more months. Yeah. Six more months. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I can't believe that. Basically, yeah, another six months of this, which I think me, me and Dave were both reflecting on. is probably actually for us nothing but good. <laughs> yeah, we're both saying how all the points that people pick out as bad. It's like, oh, you're gonna have to stay at home all the time. Great. You have to work from home. Great. Yeah. Christmas will be cancelled. Brilliant. <laughs> you're not allowed to go and see extended family. Excellent. <laughs> like, tick all the boxes. I'm good with this. Bring it on. I appreciate it's actually really hard for a lot of people. I yeah. But yeah, for us, cool. Yeah, I think with with having young kids as well, it's it's a bit of a blessing. Like in in all honesty, like I can take my my eldest to school and look after my youngest if my wife goes and picks up her eldest or whatever. And like that just wasn't happening when I was working full time. So well, I'm still working full time, but working full time and, and commuting every day. Anyway, enough about us. Um, on this episode, we are joined by David, the graceful atheist. David, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, thank you guys for having me. And I feel the same way. I, I'm a natural introvert, so uh, time time at home with family is uh, has been good, as well as acknowledging that it hasn't been good for everyone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been um, it's been a strange old time, I think. And uh, yeah, who who knows where it's going to go? It's um, crazy, really. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's leave that there for now. We can uh, we can come back to it if we need to. But um, yeah, I mean, so David, I I've been wanting to get you on the show for quite a while. I know a long time ago we recorded an episode with you when we were first doing the podcast, and um, we ended up not ever releasing that just because none of us ever quite felt like it was it was right that we didn't we didn't capture the moment properly. And um, yeah, I just I'm just delighted to have you back on the show. And I know since then you, your podcast is uh, doing really well. You're getting lots of people on your talking about lots of people's stories and stuff. And I just wanted to kind of I just get you to kind of share a little bit about kind of what you've been doing and where you are and how you're, yeah, just where you are in life, really. Yeah, yeah. So the podcast is uh, really about uh, deconversion. So we do a lot of deconversion stories. People get to tell their story. Um, it is about something I call secular grace, which is kind of my brand of humanism. And it's just an, an approach of of taking the idea of grace and applying it to, uh, you know, person to person rather than from a God down to lowly peons on earth. Uh, and then a third aspect is this idea of an honesty contest. So I will occasionally have a believer on, uh, sometimes even an apologist on. And my argument is that, uh, you know, just debates and, and analytic philosophy doesn't convince anyone. Right. Uh, but, but brutal honesty actually, uh, expressing something vulnerable and real that actually does change people's minds. And so that's kind of the, the goal of the podcast. You mentioned some of my, my guests I've recently been able to have, I had Bart Campolo on recently. I had Sasha Sagan on a while back. I had Dr. Anthony Penn on recently. So these are, you know, some of my intellectual and humanistic heroes. And, uh, it's just, I think the the magic words are, uh, you know, I have this podcast. You want to come on and, and talk about your book? It just amazes me how many people will say yes. And, you know, I get to talk to people who I greatly, greatly admire. Yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of a little bit of why I've started doing a podcast with you is that hopefully at some point you can get um, well enough known or people can at least uh, have the opportunity to talk to you. And you get to talk to those people that you've always wanted to and get to ask maybe some tricky questions or at least do a little bit more of a deep dive. And that can be really... I think really beneficial because I, I I don't know but I, I often feel like we have this um, 
this ability to get to know someone as we listen to them. I feel like as soon as you came on tonight, I was like, I, I, I know that voice. I just know that voice. So well. <laughs> I, I feel, feel like I know you. And we, I mean, we've spoken, you know, probably about four or five times in the past. So obviously I do know you, but I don't know. There's something about it. And then when you are able to invite the people on that you have read or you've uh, watched YouTube videos of, or you've you know, listened to podcasts of, and you can actually interact with them and deep dive into certain sort of subjects that you know that they've really kind of meant something to you about. I think that's a really powerful, powerful thing. So that's really cool, man. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Do you have any kind of like a future hopes of like individuals you're hoping to get on the show? Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, uh, Julia Sweeney is the, the famous Saturday Night Live um, uh, comedian, and she did a one-woman show called uh, Hello, God, It's Me, Julia, and it was about her deconversion process, uh, and I adore her, and I adore that uh, piece of work, that art, uh, expressing what was just ultimately deep vulnerability and, and truth-telling. Uh, right. Uh, so, um, anyway, I'd love to someday be able to talk to Julia. Um, man, it's just not a problem of <laughs> who, but how many, there's so many people that I, that I'd be interested in. Uh, uh, Dan, Daniel Dennett, I think of, of the four horsemen, I find him the most fascinating, I think as a kind of philosopher, maybe it's the geek in me, the computer science background, the philosophy background. Uh, I really connect to a lot of the work that he does, the idea of intuition pumps, things like that, I think would be really fascinating. Alongside Daniel Dennett is Linda Lascola. Uh, the both of them do the clergy project, uh, which I think is just an uh, outstanding organization that allows for people who literally find themselves in the pulpit or in some form or another working for the church that when they go through a deconversion process, how horrifying can that be? How scary can that be when you're the, the way you make a living uh, is dependent on the beliefs that you hold and you suddenly lose those beliefs. So I, I think they're doing really great work. So that's, I mean, that's a small list, but I mean, there's, there's hundreds of people. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm often not interested in the typical, you know, atheist heroes. <laughs> I'm, I'm often most interested in the people who are really doing humanism, right. That are out boots on the ground, um, you know, making an actual difference, uh, rather than talking about ethics, actually doing uh, ethics and that's why people like bart campolo was so important to me dr dr pin was so important to me that kind of thing yeah it makes it makes complete sense i think um yeah you, you there you you'll always find in life those people that you just kind of naturally orientate to and um i think often it's those people that kind of capture part of part of who you are no it might sound strange but it's those people that that have something that they're sharing that really kind of touched you and goes yeah that's that's something that really sparks me as well. Like a big thing for me is kind of like evolution has been a big thing in the back of my head. So I've been thinking like, yeah. who could I get on to like someone like Jerry Coyne would be absolutely phenomenal or that sort of stuff. Then at the same time, I'm absolutely terrified that I'll get Jerry Coyne on the show, which is never going to happen, but say I did and then be like, I don't know what to talk to this guy about. Like he's so much <laughs> yes. more knowledgeable than me. Um, yeah. Just get lost. But yeah, who knows? Maybe one day, maybe one day. Yeah, I, I, do, I do think that there's some element, uh, just to talk about the meta conversation about podcasting here a little bit. Yeah, I mean, sure. There's such, there's such an intimacy. Um, and I think one of the interesting features is that we all have blind spots. And I, I am certain that my listeners are much more aware of my blind spots than I am. And, and some of the podcast hosts that I listen to, I think, hmm, that's really a blind spot for that person. <laughs> and so 
uh, again, the need for secular grace to actually be kind to one another. <laughs> but uh, it's I think it's just an interesting medium where uh, to go, go back what we were saying that you really do feel like you know that person and then to actually uh, have maybe another podcaster on or an author or or some other medium where they've really expressed themselves and get to ask those specific questions. It's just a, it's just a wonderful uh, way to go about it. Yeah. And I guess we're kind of starting, um, obviously talking about you and the podcast, and we're kind of deep dive into your story um, yeah, later on. But it's been really interesting to hear a little bit kind of about why you wanted to start a podcast and what it was um, about these stories that really drew you to kind of want to get these individuals onto the show. Yeah. I think the first interview that I did was on Steve Hilliker's Voices of Deconversion. And if you go back to that episode, what you hear is me flailing around trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do with all of this in my head, right? Um, I, it, maybe it is the uh, pastoral uh, instinct that just doesn't die. Um, maybe that's what it is. But shortly after my deconversion process, you know, you, you kind of you look out there, you see some of the debates, you read a bunch of books, you watch a bunch of YouTube videos, maybe you listen to a bunch of podcasts, and then there's just kind of this feeling of, well, now what? What do I do now? Uh, and and I was, I'm was i not a terribly good writer. You know, I, did, I wrote some blog posts. Most of them make me cringe when I look back at them now. <laughs> uh, and I, but what I, and then again, I mentioned I'm, you know, I'm a bit of an introvert, so I'm not really a community uh, person, although that is, I'm interested in that. But I finally realized, actually, I, what I can do is have one-on-one conversations. I'm, I'm decent at that. And uh, so as soon as I, you know, started to listen to more podcasts and realized that, hey, I, I'm, I, I like this. I like this process. Uh, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I'll do, you know, five or six episodes and see if it works at all. Uh, and lo and behold, it really did. Uh, you know, I, I, I was astonished that I had an audience and that the audience builds. Um, the, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm just this guy, right? I have zero credentials. I have a church leadership bachelor of arts degree from a, from a, uh, a college that no longer exists. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I am the least qualified person you could possibly imagine. So I really, I, I take a kind of ruthlessly pragmatic, uh, approach to things. And, and again, that focus on just brutal honesty, both self-honesty and, and trying to elicit honesty out of my guests. This is a slightly off piece, but never mind. Uh, we're not really on a piste anyway, a big rocky outcrop. Um, we're laughing earlier about the introvert nature of all of us. And uh, I don't know why I'm leaning towards the screen as if that's going to make me speak louder. The microphone <laughs> next to my face. Um, and a joy I can edit out there later. Great. Um, but it's a interesting point there. So all three of us here are probably introverted people. Um, and then from lots of people I've spoken to, who are deconverting or going through this sort of challenge are also introverts. And from your experience, people you've spoken to are deconverted. I wonder if there's any correlation there between the idea of like introspective nature leading to people not necessarily being involved in the gung-ho nature of church environment, therefore not getting involved in the not so much on the outward appearance of the missional aspect leads to people, more introspective people, moving away more because they spend more time thinking about what they're doing as much as doing what they're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting insight. And I think that a self-reflective nature is part of the requirement. Uh, I've got, but I've got a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, number one, 
a couple of people just leapt to mind that are that contradict that idea. I, I interviewed Brady Harden of the Life After podcast, huge extrovert, right? <laughs> uh, I interviewed uh, Karen from the Deconversion Therapy podcast, very much an extrovert as well. Both of them are very reflective people also. Uh, so I, I think it's the reflective nature that's really the most important there. Um, but yes, I mean, I think that introversion you know, we are in our own heads and it's kind of, um, and we are, maybe are more likely or more apt to question ourselves, question our own thoughts and beliefs. Uh, uh, maybe that's too broad a stroke, but I, I think that is, is significant. Um, I also think that external factors can really play a, a role. Um, I've, I've heard from a number of people uh, I try to quote them. So I, uh, Tim Sledge talks about the uh, exceptions to the rule of faith. Um, I interviewed Amy Logan, who's an ex-Mormon, and she talked about uh, putting these things on a shelf, right? This little things that go make you hmm, and she'd put it on a shelf, right? And and I recognize as I you know through the latter years before my deconversion that there were so many times that. I knew if I dig too deep here, if I if I really explore this, I, I might not like the outcome, and I'm just going to ignore it. And that's truly cognitive dissonance at play. <laughs> and uh, and so I think that sometimes it takes some external influence that it's a blip in the matrix. It it stops you uh, it, in your uh, cognitive biases for a moment to uh, to observe it for, as an outsider for a moment. And go, wait a minute, maybe this isn't true. And and often, I think, at that point, the house of cards begins to fall. It's a really interesting thought, isn't it? Kind of around this sort of um, introverted, extroverted sort of nature of people. And I kind of wonder like if you could potentially break it. I mean, I'm not saying we should, but like if you could, if, if, if one could break it down into kind of like, you know, look, look at different things like uh, Enneagrams or whatever and seeing sort of where where the most people within a church setting end up falling. Um, yeah, Dave's just sending me a message just saying hashtag interesting. It really is the the word we keep saying on this podcast. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> Got to get a new word, damn it. Um, yes, yeah. One day, one day we will. Um, so yeah, that's okay. That's that's fascinating. Um, I think I I haven't actually thought about that before. So that's something I'm going to go away and kind of um, drill myself about and kind of work out what's in my head and and, and heart with that one. It's it's a strange one. Um, okay, okay. And then so I guess just following on from that, kind of what what made you decide to um i guess begin publishing the podcast and actually kind of sharing it out there and kind of um i guess bringing it to a wider audience i kind of asked that kind of kind of knowing that when you sometimes you can be viewed as when you present these sorts of things to individuals um someone who might be on the cusp of still believing might end up falling over the edge and stuff and i kind of or or vice versa somebody who is you know who doesn't believe actually thinks no that they're, they're wrong i do believe again and and there are different ways of looking at it but kind of what what made you decide to actually go no i think this is important to share these stories yeah so the selfish reason and then the the graceful reason i'll give you <laughs> the selfish reason is that i felt uh, you know, just a a drive, a need to express 
uh, myself to express what it was like to have truly and utterly been convinced to, I, I was a deep believer. I, uh, you know, uh, would, would evangelize random people on the street. I mean, I, I really was fully dedicated. I was all in, uh, and to have that kind of experience and then to begin to question little bits on the edges and, and then to have the experience of just having the whole thing crumble to the ground. The, immediately afterwards, uh, you think to yourself, this is, no one has ever gone through this. This is, this is entirely unique. I, you know, I, I've got to tell everyone. Uh, what of course I've learned now is that it's not unique at all, even a tiny bit, uh, that this has been going on throughout history for as long as faith has been a thing. There's been, uh, not under these terms, but deconversions or the, the loss of faith and doubt has been there forever. Uh, and the more slightly more graceful, uh, answer is that it, it isn't so much, my purpose is not to make more atheists. It, it truly honestly is not. My purpose is to provide cover for doubters. There is such a stigmatism about honest questions within the church. And here we'll, I'm going to narrow my focus to Christian church. When you ask honest questions, you either get pat answers, you get shut down, or it's implied that your faith is not very good. And so my, my honest driving force for the podcast is to say, you know, if you begin to value evidence more than defending your faith, if you start to see the flaws in the arguments for theism, if you see the patness of the pet answers that you've been given and you begin to doubt, that's okay. <laughs> and you are a part of a huge movement of people in this moment in time and throughout history. This is this is not new. Uh, and so the the main purpose of the the podcast is to say, you know, deconstruction, deconversion, just doubt whether you end up being a dedicated believer afterwards or a, a staunch atheist. Really, I'm not that's that hung up about, right? That people will e investigate, that they will examine their beliefs and the underpinning presuppositions be below those. I think that in itself is an end to itself. Wow. Yeah. I can't think of a, of a of a better segue into kind of um, asking you to begin to kind of open up and share about about your own story and kind of yeah. um, if if possible take us through like the kind of whole sweep about how you grew up and where you are and kind of family and just as much as you're happy to go into I think that'd be yeah absolutely amazing to hear. Sure. Uh, so you know when I tell the story and and I, I'll acknowledge here that that you wind up telling the story and it gets embellished. <laughs> And the way you tell a story influences memory. And so what I'm going to tell you is probably mostly lies, but <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> That's amazing. Is, this is how I remember it right now. Right. Uh, so I grew up in a really nominally Christian family and I have this really distinct memory of being uh, probably 13 or so in the car with my grandmother. And she mentioned the apostles creed. And I was like, well, what's that? And, and she just had this moment of great shame. Like, you know, she had failed to, to teach me about religion and about, about God. So I was super curious. I was super argumentative as a kid. Um, and then the, the main thing that you need to know, uh, that, that really influences virtually everything about, uh, my story is that my mom was a drug and, uh, a drug addict and an alcoholic. Uh, she had 
successes and failures throughout my entire life. Uh, but that was, you know, the defining element of my, my childhood. So that was an inescapable reality that, that was something that I was constantly, uh, you know, fighting against. So, uh, uh, one day I'm uh, about 16 or 17 years old. She comes to me and says, uh, you know, David, you, I've had this revelation from God and uh, I'm going to be clean and sober. And I was like, sure. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that sounds great. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and that day she was clean and sober and the next day she was clean and sober. Uh, she eventually went to the Betty Ford center. Um, that began a period of time for about 10 years where she was clean and sober, had a real, um, uh, recovery was active in, uh, AA and NA and various other 12 step programs, uh, including religious ones. But long story short, that has a pretty big impact on uh, a teenage kid. I was, uh, you know, very curious. Uh, she was very gentle. She handed me a Bible and said, you might want to look into this. <laughs> In other words, there was no pressure here, right? This was not a full-blown uh, evangelical proselytizing event. It was very much, this was something good that happened to me. If you're interested, here's where you might look into it. Uh, and I read through the whole Bible, but but specifically the New Testament and the Gospels and the person of Jesus was just transformative. My 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 understanding of Christianity up to that point was from a great grandmother of mine who was a very severe Methodist lady who, you know, it was all about the rules and you're wrong and you're sinful and you're going to hell, right? So to to read about Jesus coming along and, and being, I'm here for the sick and not for the well. He calls the uh, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He calls out their hypocrisy. He he dealt with the hypocrisy that I saw in the Christian church as an outsider. And I thought, wow, you know, I've never <laughs> never heard any of this. Uh, and and so th that nominal Christianity that I had grown up with fell away. And then I had a real sense of what the Gospels actually teach. Uh, so. Over about a, the pro, about the process of a year, I I you know became a Christian. I became a very dedicated evangelical Christian, and it was on the basis of the Gospels. Uh, I around then I also just fell apart. <laughs> so you know, mom had been destructive her entire life. Uh, all of a sudden, she was being behaving as an adult, uh, and that was my cue to. Uh, just let things fall apart. So I ultimately dropped out of high school. Um, I did eventually get a GED uh, and poked around at junior college for a bit. But when I got to church eventually, um, the experience was really interesting because unlike most people, I know again, it's not unique, but but most people are born into it <laughs> uh, or or they come into it as an adult or what, or what have you. But I had the, the weird experience of having read the Bible before I really spent any time at all in a church. So my first experiences were, hmm, why do they think that? You know, wh where'd they get that idea? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't find that in the Bible. I had long hair and an earring and there were, you know, sideways glances and things like that. And I thought, did Jesus have long hair? <laughs> you know, why, why, why would that be an issue at all? So uh, my immediate feeling was, you know, this doesn't make any sense, but I feel like I have something to say to these people. These people should be the experts. They've been living this their entire life, but 
maybe they missed the grace that I've seen in Jesus. And so I was what I call a grace junkie, right? Like my entire theology was based on grace. Uh, it was the, the grace that I saw that changed my mom. It was grace that I saw in uh, the people that she interact with, acted, interacted with in 12 Steps. And it was this loving acceptance amongst them that enabled them to recover. And I thought, this is what the church is missing. They just, they just forgot. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I'm dragging on here, but the, I had a, a youth pastor. They had no idea what to do with me. I was, I was 18 or 19 at this point. So outside of the youth group age, but there was nowhere for me to go. So they said, why don't you help with the youth group? Uh, and the, uh, youth pastor was a great guy. I still love him to this day. Uh, and he very kindly basically said, you know, you should do this. Go, go to Bible college. You, you can be a pastor. And the thing that is important here is that I really didn't believe in myself. I had, I had dropped out of high school. I really had no idea what I was going to do with my life. We were deeply poor. Um, I mean, I really had no real hope for the future. So just that one idea of someone believing in me and saying, go do this, uh, was, was revolutionary. So I did go to college. Uh, I had the great fortune to have grandparents who rescued me from the worst aspects of the addiction in my immediate family. Uh, they also helped me with college. Uh, I couldn't have done it without them. At college, I had what I say are professors who did their job too good, uh, too well. They taught critical thinking. They taught uh, us how to think more than what to think. Of course, there was dogma. There was doctrine, uh, you know, doctrinal uh, orthodoxy there. But it was I, – I loved the atmosphere of college, of asking questions, of staying up until 3, 3 a.m. With, uh, with my peers debating some topic or another. Um, I, where the gospel uh, and Jesus – won my heart. I say that theology, systematic theology won my mind. I had this framework now to, uh, to understand Christianity in a way, uh, that just made sense to me. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll skip forward here just a little bit. After I graduated, I had the very jarring experience of getting accredited, uh, in my denomination at the time. And it was very much a, here are the the, you know, the, the 10 points of faith that you are signing off, you believe these, you will preach these, you won't, you won't contradict these. Uh, and that was the first time I felt like I was really being dishonest signing that document. <laughs> you know, like I had some questions. Uh, uh, I spent a couple of years as a youth pastor. I loved the people. I really enjoyed that. As we have referred to earlier, I was an introvert. It was really killing me. Uh, so beyond just having a doubt here or there, it was more about, uh, being a, a people person performatively as a, as what you do for a living was exhausting to me. Uh, and I had, I didn't know that I didn't have the ability to understand myself that well at the time. Uh, so, you know, burnout, eventually burnout. Um, I had a relationship with a mom in the youth group that did not go over well. Uh, so, so I left on pretty bad terms. Um, but, uh, then I, I actually married my college sweetheart. Uh, we both had kind of 
had the experience of burnout in ministry and we came together and I'm, I'm still married to her. She's way out of my league. She's always been way out of my league. I don't know how I got so lucky. Um, she is very much a believer still to this day. Uh, but the point I want to make there is that for another good 20 years or so after leaving professional ministry, I was still a dedicated Christian. I would still do evangelism all the time. Uh, and it, it wasn't until uh, around 2015 that these questions began to mount up. Uh, I tell one, one other story is that probably 2013, 14, I did a read through the Bible again through a year. Uh, I would do that in the evenings often. And my wife would comment to me and she would be like, why, why are you angry? <laughs> you seem angry. What's going on? <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, again, blind spots. I was unaware that, of what it was. What it was is that I was reading it for the first time with kind of no rose-colored glasses. I, I had take, taken the grace filter off and was just reading it for what it says and was a bit horrified by uh, the entirety of the Bible. So I had been so focused on the graceful parts of the scriptures, and that's what I read most, that's what I taught, uh, that that really just going through it uh, again from beginning to end through the prophets, through, through the, uh, uh, you know, Kings and the Chronicles, uh, through, uh, even the Proverbs. I mean, there's some dark parts of the scriptures. Uh, and even in the new Testament, we tend, we tend to think of the old Testament as, as the angry God in the new Testament of, of all about love. And there's some hard bits in the new Testament as well. And anyway, that was, that was, part of the beginning of the end. Another aspect of it for me was apologetics. I had read, you know, very much as a believer here, this is the important part of the story is that I was convinced of the apologetic arguments already. But as I was reading those apologetic argu arguments, I was recognizing the fatal flaws within them. Uh, and so I was increasingly pushed towards uh, what I would describe almost as um uh, Descartes, Cartesian idea of, you know, I, I, I am because God is right. Like I will just, uh, almost as an assertion at, at, at its base. And that was the, the basis of my faith in those latter part parts of the, of my, before my deconversion. And then finally in 2015, I was reading some articles from Greta Christina about the, the fact that, you know, the soul doesn't really make sense when we take into effect that, that, you know, we are as human beings affected by the physical. If I take a medication, uh, I can lose consciousness. If I don't have oxygen for more than six minutes, I may permanently lose consciousness. Uh, that people who have accidents, brain injuries can have dramatic uh, personality changes. And it was just that, it wasn't that that was some super compelling argument. Uh, it was that that was the last straw, the, the, the tiny grain of sand that pushed me over the edge of suddenly realizing that. And I really did have this sudden moment of, oh shit, I don't believe. And, uh, and it was just shocking. And, and then it, the, the next thought was, how am I going to tell my wife? And, and just, I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified of losing her. I was terrified of breaking her heart. Uh, I, I knew that we had, uh, you know, both 
implicitly and explicitly predicated the marriage upon our faith. And here I knew, I knew that I couldn't fake it either. I knew I couldn't hide this from her. I had to tell her. And so about three months go by. During that three months, I'm reading voraciously, right? I, I went through probably five or six books in a three-month period of time. Um, and I, you know, I, can, I can feel it. I can feel my, my palms sweating as I'm telling the story. I, you know, we're sitting in bed and I'm, I, <laughs> I'm sneaking up to the subject and saying, I, I think I have some doubts. I, I, I need to tell you that I'm really having doubts. Uh, and that was a gross understatement, right? By this time, I knew I'm an atheist. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was there was no going back. And I knew I was twisting the knife into her heart. And I, I and I just tried to focus as much as I could on what I'm going to talk about a little bit later about the I, this idea of secular grace, of expressing to her how much I loved her. I loved her for who she is, who she was, who she is. I loved her for her faith. That was an integral part of her. I loved her for uh, how she cares about people, how she cares about our kids, how she cares about me. I love her for the way uh, that, like now, if I'm talking about now, she grieves for the the American politics that we're we're going through right now. That she grieves for the way that um, God is used uh, for as a political weapon, right? And I I just love that about her, and I tried to express that as much as possible, that that didn't change. Um, feel free to jump in with questions, by the way, but I'll just keep going and tell you interrupt me. Uh, <laughs> well, I was actually going to say one thing on the cue yeah, to yeah. interrupt you. Oh, sure. any, any opportunity, mate, the door opened the creek. I'm, I'm like an enforcement yeah. agent or a bailiff barging my way in. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, what you said there, I found really interesting. Um, this, yeah. this idea of like apologetics arguments, like even though you're convinced yes. of their argument, they become more and more hollow the more you listen to them. And I found that as well. I know Sam has as well. It's quite funny that me and Sam both were part of the Apologetics Book Club at uh, where we worked. Um, yeah. And Sam has now um, become a massive atheist. And I don't know where <laughs> I stand. So that proved okay. probably ineffective as a group. Um, but the point is that I find the same. Like I came from a place of completely agreeing with those people. Like I, I was on in the choir listening to the preacher in the choir and I found they were just really empty and I've heard loads of people say that and I find that really quite interesting that if you, you seek the answers from these people who are meant to be knowledgeable and they the, the arguments just seem hollow. They they almost they're completely counter what they're trying to do. They're trying to convince people, like keep people in the faith through their arguments and they seem I don't know, just silly, if I'm honest. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's just an interesting observation that, you, again, it's something that you, you have said, and I've heard it from both Sam, and I found it as well, and I hear other people saying it. And, yeah, it's, so, it just, just involves a lot of really having to stretch things to make them make sense. Absolutely. Uh, and I think going back to your earlier observation about the reflectiveness uh, leading to deconversion, I think... The people I see online who are hardcore apologists are probably prime targets, <laughs> not targets, prime candidates for deconversion down the line. I'd really be interested in talking to these people 20 years from now, right? Because they are, just as you said, Dave, bending over backwards to make the apologetic arguments work. And I really think that it is a uh, desire to know the truth. I, I say that it was the exact same desire to know the truth that led me into Christianity. It made sense at the time. It solved a bunch of problems for me. It answered a lot of questions for me. And it's that exact same drive for truth that led me out of Christianity. It was it was recognizing that 
that the that Christianity gave a simulacrum of an answer, <laughs> uh, uh, w- but it included a a number of presuppositions that just couldn't be justified, couldn't be uh, sustained, at least not with evidence. And I think that I'll take this one step further. Uh, in that I think that apologetics is hurting the church. <laughs> I think apologetics hurts the the very people that's intended to keep uh, in the church uh, because of what I just said. If you say to me, as a believer, so if there's a believer listening, if you say to me, I I'm I believe by faith alone. I can't personally follow you there, but I deeply respect that position. I understand that position. If you say to me, the there's this argument for why one should believe, then that argument uh, immediately becomes susceptible to uh, refutation. It comes the full weight of the history of philosophy and science and ethics comes to bear on that argument. And if that argument is shown to be fallacious at some point, and you've based your faith on that argument, <laughs> what do you do then? said as well um is your comment about the fact that you came to church having read the bible which again is same same as me um i yeah. um i got taken to church when i was young because my mum was a christian um and so i had an understanding of the bible and i read it quite a bit as a child um I did, but i didn't become a christian until i was 19 at university so i came to church knowing the bible pretty damn well um just yeah, because of yeah. had upbringing in it and i was the same uh i listened to people talk from the front it's like really where do you yeah. get that? Yeah, literally what you said where, where do you get that from like yeah. that doesn't seem to say that and it it doesn't say it here and it's very contrary to here um so i almost like started church with this really like um like on the wrong step which is like yeah. oh I, I don't believe you <laughs> <laughs> you person yes. at the front i don't i just don't get along with you which um so that's an interesting perspective like i'm just interested in this and I, from anybody who's walked away from church because it's a slightly different situation to sam because sam was heavily involved in leadership and this has, so it's a very yeah. different experience for him. Um, like, ha, like, did you give the leaders in churches any authority over your life? Like, willingly give them authority to speak into your life? Because I wonder if that impacts um, almost the ability to be critically thinking and to question things. Because if you if you give people who are authority figures that authority, then you are like wanting to be have approval from them. You wanting to be under their authority, and you're choosing to allow them to have a say in your life. And so I was just wondering, like, from your experience of being in church, and for you said for sort of 20 odd years of being involved in church, but not being in like leadership, as you said. So you know, did you do that? Did you give leaders authority? Did you bow to their authority or were you withdrawn from it, et cetera, that sort of ideal? Uh, again, a deeply insightful question from Dave. Uh, so let me, let me contextualize it really quick and then I'll answer your question. I, so you could say the story of my life was, you know, my my dad died when I was when I was two years old, and uh, you know, kind of looking for that that father figure, uh, and so that was what was so deeply compelling about Christianity. Here was the father to the fatherless. Uh, at at twelve, uh, again with the family history of uh, uh, drug and alcohol, I distinctly remember 
explicitly stating, I'm basically it. I have to take care of myself. So along comes this idea of Christianity and a father to the fatherless and God, a present active God in, in my life was deeply compelling. This, that solved that, that filled that need for that father figure. So let me, let me move forward. So then in ministry, I had a senior pastor who was, um, not interested <laughs> even a little bit in being a father figure <laughs> to me. I, I think I look back on that now and I'm, I'm trying to live up to my own ideals here and be vulnerable. I think I was begging for him to take notice and, and care about me, spend time with me. And that just did not happen. Um, so I think I continued to get the message that I was a bit on my own. Uh, and part of my personality is being deeply independent. I, I mentioned way early on talking about being an argumentative person. I just never could take things, uh, based on somebody's word. Uh, the joke in my family is, uh, my wife will, will say something and I'll be double checking. And she's like, you're double checking me, aren't you? <laughs> And I'll say, trust but verify. <laughs> that, that's just, literally what just, me and my wife do. Whenever we tell yeah. a story, we instantly Google each other. It's like, oh, yeah. that's an interesting fact. Let me just check with the expert. Oh, it exactly. turns out you're wrong. In fact, yeah. that's not true. We do it to each other all the time. It drives yeah, both yeah. of us mad. Yeah, no, it's a family joke at this point. Like we, you know, we just, <laughs> so I'm just constitutionally incapable of just taking it on, uh, on given, right? So just, sorry, just interrupting on that. I, I, I keep interrupting. This is like the worst hosting in the world. It's like, hey, we're here, we're here from you, Dave. But I'm just going to keep talking. Um, I my wife used to get annoying, so I used to do it in church before I stopped going to church. Like literally, as the sermon started, I'd be on my phone. They're like, there's part of me telling a story. I'm like, hmm, let's just fact check right. that. <laughs> Turns out that story is not true. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. Snopes, uh, that kind of thing. It's not good. Like all the stories that preachers tell, some of them are terrible. So we're talking about father figures. Uh, so. By the time I left on bad terms, that that independent streak was so deep. I had uh, mentors, people I looked up to. I have a beloved theology professor whom I adore to this day uh, from from Bible college days. Uh, but it was a, a relationship from a distance. I had a couple of times where, you know, I was able to chat with him or I was deeply vulnerable with him after I left the church actually and told him the whole story. And he was of course very gracious and kind, but they, you know, these were people at a distance. So, um, so that to answer your question, Dave, <laughs> no, I, I really never did have, uh, the experience of letting leadership really dictate into my life. I, I always questioned, I always had an independent, uh, uh, perspective on things. And I would integrate, I would take things that I thought were valuable and useful. But again, I, I had a hard time taking things just as, as given. Yeah, because I, I wonder about that a lot, because I, the joy of Instagram, flipping, it's the flipping addictive, it's like crack, goodness me. It's just like, I know it's bad <laughs> for me, but I'll, I'll keep using it anyway. Um, yeah. Those lovely pictures keep scrolling. Um, but I, I see so often people's stories of like the church I used to go to still follow all the people. And it's just like an amazing thing from this person. Isn't this person awesome? Look how awesome this person is speaking about the leader all the time. And it's like, oh, you, you're just you're giving this person a huge amount of authority in saying your life and the way you should act, which I, I understand because you think they're great, but it does 
it definitely right. shifts into this like echo chamber sort of mentality of like yeah they're amazing we're just going to listen to them and everybody thinks they're amazing therefore they're amazing um which i've always found very concerning i, I just wonder how how prevalent that is within not just christianity but any belief structure and if, if that leads people to to sort of cover up if people do have these doubts and considerations as you've already talked about um the sound of the brook that comes back with mixed energy but still works um, yeah. Yeah. I, got <laughs> um I wonder if um if people who do give that authority to people and therefore have almost invest me and Sam actually spoke about this the like investing in leadership uh, enables them to get away with more not necessarily because they're trying to get away with more but it and there was a level of forgiveness if you invest in something there's a level of forgiveness for its actions that you wouldn't get if you didn't invest in it because you you've given part of yourself over to it haven't you if you've been to a church for multiple years and given money and invested your life into serving there you're much like less likely to question it because you have a stake in it um and i wonder yeah if those people they stop themselves questioning or challenging things in their own mind because there's so much risk attached to it you spoke before about um you mentioned about people who are going through uh, unbelief when it affects their job. Um, yeah. but, so that's a huge tie, isn't it? And so I mentioned it's similar. If you've invested so much of your life into this thing, to question it like blows everything out of the water, doesn't it? And I know that's, Sam, that's your experience, isn't it? Like investing so much into this thing and then having to yeah, reach that point of like, oh, I'm, uh, is this right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how long do I stop myself thinking about this before? Yeah, it right. all crumbles. So... Sorry, that's, that's my massive interjection and uh, wading in. <laughs> you did say interrupt you, so yeah, go for it. You get, I've, I've got a couple of things to respond to that, if that's okay. One, I would say that that atheists and humanists are just as susceptible. Uh, I think oh, I had a very... Hideously so. Uh, I, I think it's so funny. Like, sorry, I'm interrupting again, but like, I just watched some of the stuff on YouTube and it's like a flipping church. You got yeah. like yeah the like the person's doing the video. Everybody's like yeah yeah those stupid yeah. believers. Look at them over there. They don't know anything. Look at us with our special knowledge. We should try to exactly. try to evangelize them to come to know God. But it's like like you're exactly the same group of people. It's just you transpose Jesus to nothing, but you're still the same group. It's so funny. Um, yeah. It's like well, see, so yeah, special knowledge. We have this special knowledge. It's uh, yeah. it's like why people believe in conspiracy theories, isn't it? It's, it's like we have a special right. knowledge that other people don't. It makes people feel elitist and purposeful and great. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. You're right sorry I've, but yeah you're right it's just my experience from like seeing people or like when you say oh, i'm not sure what i think like you like oh a disciple we're gonna grab them <laughs> and bring them into our fold it's just like ah oh, just leave me alone yeah. <laughs> no i i mean i completely agree i i think I, I i see this a lot where you know you have some compelling intellectual figure you know somebody like a uh, uh, christopher hitchens who just was so eloquent uh, and so snarky, <laughs> and you you wind up with these Christopher Hitchens disciples, you know, that are are following along and and mimicking him. Now, I yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> Jordan Peterson is definitely another one. And I'm not. I want to be clear. If you're listening and you like these guys, I, I you know I do too at a distance. Uh, but I <laughs> but I am able to you know keep some. Uh, separation and not deify these people. They are not infallible. They are not always correct. Uh, and, and so having that kind of perspective, I think is really useful. I want to go back to your main point though, about, uh, you know, is it the people that are, uh, that kind of give over, uh, to leadership a bit. And I think one, the United States is going through a demonstration of this, right? That, that, uh, evangelicals in particular, uh, will give over to an authoritarian figure willingly. 
uh, or we're watching this happen in real time. Uh, so I think that's a, a really interesting insight that uh, for those people who, especially who grew up, I really feel for, I think my heart goes out the most to people who grew up uh, with, you know, dedicated evangelical parents with, you know, an idea of hell hanging over their their head and the idea of just absolute authority in wh whoever their leader is. That is super dangerous, a super dangerous cocktail that is going to end in tears. And so my, my, I'm old, I mean, I'm older, <laughs> I'm older guy. So watching some of the millennials who grew up in the nineties in that environment and have come out of it now in one way or another, even those that are believers still, but that are rejecting evangelicalism, I just, my heart breaks for them. So I think that's a really uh, deep insight that that author that lean towards authoritarianism, the uh, allowing the leader to have kind of an absolute say uh, is makes it much harder. And then the other thing that you said that was really, I think, very insightful and and true is this idea of the sunk cost that that you have invested so much of your life, energy, time, resources, uh, commitment to uh, upholding the belief structure, upholding the leader, maybe, uh, upholding Christianity itself, the idea of walking away from that is more than daunting, right? It takes tremendous personal reflection to be able to, to get to that point. What I often want to say to the believers who are listening to me is not so much you're wrong, it's not so much that theism is wrong, although I think it is. Uh, it is that I was mistaken. The big insight at my, the time of my deconversion and what I am preaching now <laughs> is I was mistaken. I, and, and, and the reason this is important is that I love people who are believers. I love my wife. I love my, my virtually everyone in my family. My very closest friends are all dedicated believers. I love them. And so I don't think that they are stupid. I don't think that they are fooling themselves, quote unquote, right? I, I think they are mistaken. And, and that, that framing I think is important. And it's one that I rarely hear elsewhere. Uh, and, and part of the reason is when you come at someone with you're wrong, all of the defensiveness, all of the, um, backfire effect takes place. Right. But if I tell you I interpreted these things, what I thought was the Holy Spirit, I now recognize was collective emotion. Uh, what I thought was God speaking to me was my own conscience, was me speaking to myself. Uh, what I thought were mirac miracles really tended to reduce to a good human being doing a good thing for another human being. Uh, and when I began to be honest with myself, brutally self-honest with myself, what I came to was I was mistaken. And, and that can get over that hump of that sunk cost. It, you, when you begin to be honest with yourself, uh, rather than trying to make uh, a, you know, uh, uh, un, unassailable argument for naturalism or humanism, I'm saying, have you considered the possibility you were mistaken. <laughs> uh, and I think that is, that is a, a really powerful way of, of communicating again, kind of, uh, an apologetics of doubt, allowing for doubt, allowing 
the freedom for people to express their questions, wrestle with those questions, potentially find answers and potentially not find answers and figure out a way to live with that. Yeah, David, I absolutely love that. I think kind of what I want to, I've got two things, well, two questions, I guess. The first one is kind of, um, did you, in your own story, um, think that you could get to a level of doubt where you had that shit, I don't believe this anymore moment? Or did you, as a believer, kind of just assume, as I think I did, that it would be impossible for you to actually come to that point? Like, how, how how, how does your story feed into that? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I made reference to the the Cartesian idea. You know, I was as I used to say that I never really went through a deconstruction process, and that just was a total lie. I absolutely did. <laughs> I get, you know, with hindsight, I can now see better how I was constantly moving the goalposts. Uh, you know, early on, I was a science geek, you know, a pop science geek. So uh, evolution made sense to me as I came to Christianity. So I never really bought into the um, anti-evolution stuff. Uh, you know, I thought maybe the intelligent design could have something. And I even made that argument. Uh, you can go back to an episode that I had with a friend of mine named Bryce, where we're referring back to a conversation we had in 2012. And I was really, I was trying to proselytize him. I was trying to make the argument for a, uh, but I was trying to make an argument to him to, for, you know, theistic evolution without really even knowing that was a thing, right? Like I just, I was trying to make that argument. The, the so you know science was always a, a was always a part there and just wasn't uh, I, I was always melding them together and so I was moving the goalposts and and again that last stage was I kind of really recognized the the brokenness of apologetic arguments I had read through the Bible and I had recognized the brokenness <laughs> and the humanity really of the Bible, right? This was an expression of culture. It was an expression of a group of people in a moment in time. And I, and I was seeing it as that and, and that it had lost its authority. It had lost, I never really was a huge inerrantist saying that wrong, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I felt like it had authority and I had lost that. So I was sitting there with basically nothing <laughs> and I was leaning on the census divinitas, right? I had this overwhelming sense of God's presence in my head and that I was not alone. Uh, and that was the last thing to go. It was when I finally had that moment of I'm mistaken. I don't believe this. <laughs> it was, it was deafening silence. It was, it was just over. Yeah. I really remember that feeling drastically. And I, I think I wrote a blog post um, which I published a while ago called some guiding hand where I realized that this some guiding hand that I'd always assumed was there from, from the first moment I could think, but I was taught about Christianity and um, that had gone. I was like, Oh my goodness, this thing that has been there my entire life, which I, now I can see is basically like a comfort blanket has yeah. been removed. And it's that, Oh, oh my goodness. Um, anyway, I don't want to make this much about me, but I would kind of guess when I, I want to kind of, jump back into your story so i kind of feel like where we left it was you had realized that you no longer believe you had mm -hmm. began this conversation with your wife where you were saying um you know I, I have some doubts but really that was just kind of like you trying to make the first step on the ladder to kind of explain to her the full kind of reality of the situation um and i kind of I guess would 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 i feel like we're on this like cliffhanger i don't want the episode to end and us to not hear the rest of this so um like kind yeah. of yeah like carry carry that on because this is really interesting yeah. So I will, I'll do a plug here uh, in probably a couple of months. I'm, we're, my wife and I are going to do an episode together, uh, which is 
joy uncountable countable to me. I, I couldn't believe when I was having this conversation with her recently. Uh, she was pointing out, you know, we really had deconstructed on some level, uh, you know, when we both had gone and done ministry and kind of been burnt out. And, you know, uh, by no means does, does that mean that she is not a, a very, you know, fairly conservative believer still, uh, theologically speaking, uh, but rather she's willing to have those conversations. And so we're, we're planning on doing an episode together. Uh, but what I will say is, you know, after that initial shock, uh, she was amazing. She, um, I, you know, I need to give her a little space to let her uh, uh, absorb all of that. Uh, but she has a background in psychology. And, uh, you know, so for a couple of months go by and we had a conversation in which she referred to, and unfortunately, I don't have this off the top of my head. I'll have to ask her again. Um, a, a psychologist who talked about the a marriage's experience uh, you know, events that can cause them to need to start over again, so to speak. Uh, often the, the prime example is infidelity. I want to make clear that's not the case here, but, uh, uh, but also just time, right? Every decade or so, you know, you, you're both different people than you were when you, when you got married. Uh, and so she pointed out that basically we're on, we're doing our quote unquote second marriage, uh, at, with each other. And I just thought that was brilliant, a brilliant insight. And uh, and I so adore her for being willing to to do that. So we jokingly say we are on our second marriage to each other. <laughs> and again, recognizing um, that we, we love each other for who we are, uh, not necessarily just because of what we believe. Anyway, so being on uh, this this idea of the second marriage that that. Uh, I still love her for all of who she is. And that is the thing that I try to convey to her all the time, right? That, that, uh, for a while, uh, she would do her Bible study or listen to her podcasts. Uh, and, and if I walked in the room, she would stop. And I finally was like, listen, I, I love that you're doing that, right? Like, I know that this is something that is important for you spiritually. And I, and whatever definition of spiritually we give here, right? I have a perfectly natural explanation for it, but however she perceives it, it is integral to who she is. And so I want, I was trying to express to her that I embrace her and her faith and support her. Uh, and of late, in the last six months, we've been able to have more conversations. We've been, thus this future podcast that we're going to do together, uh, you know, to, to talk about, um, her faith to me and trust that I'm not going to just tear it down, just rip it apart. Uh, I am going to take this opportunity to move into a segue really quickly. And I, I just want to say that, you know, the other aspect of my podcast is about humanism and it's a point that I, that I want to, to drive home. What I see a lot of online, especially, uh, you know, right after somebody deconverts, right. They've, they, they're, they're probably angry uh, they've just read a bunch of uh, new atheist books. They've, you know, they <laughs> they've been on YouTube for sixty hours straight. You know, they are a powder keg ready to explode, and they are expressing anti-theism. They are they are uh, you know angrily going after the believers that are online and attacking them. And I just want to com- contrast that briefly to the, this idea of secular grace again. And the idea of humanism is to say that we that i think that hu- humanity being human 
both our foibles, our our failures, our imperfections, and the our great rationality, our ability to, uh, you know, build the International Space Station. I mean, all of those things encompass what it means to be human. And one element of that is, again, quote unquote, spirituality. And I think we do a disservice as a secular people when we attack uh, theism, attack religion without providing a safe place to land for people. So the, the, the point I'm driving at is that I am actually not interested in sweeping the leg out from under, underneath believers uh, because I don't think we as a secular community have done well enough yet to provide a place for them to land. It is a poor argument to say, give up this deeply meaningful experience you have, this deeply, deeply meaningful belief system you have to go it on your own, <laughs> right? That is, that is a hard sell. <laughs> and so what I'm interested in is exploring what it means to be a human being. I think we experience awe. I think we still need a sense of belonging and, and uh, connection. We need community. Uh, and all of those things have always been uh, under a religious rubric. And I'm saying, actually, even in the religion, even in church, it's the people that is the magic, right? What makes church valuable is the people. And we can take the community aspects without the dogma and and try to recreate that. That's that's my big driving goal is, is how do we love people and build community without having a belief structure that is that has no evidence for it boom i feel like we've um we've got to get a um another podcast started where it's just kind of motivational um speaking from from david that's that's fantastic <laughs> um yeah i completely agree like that's the thing like it's this is what i try to tell um like most of my friends are still christian uh, i was out for a bike ride with a really good friend yesterday who listens to the podcast every week he's a um, a really close friend great guy and he's just um you know, his his big passion is that people are honest and have real conversations. And um, you know, he was talking about you know, I I he kind of said I I, I would love to pray for you. And I was like, well, pray for me. Like I don't mind you praying for me. So right there and then, he kind of put his hand on me and prayed for me. I'm like, you know, just because I don't necessarily believe doesn't mean that I want to say everything that you believe and think is important is complete crap. Like that's that's not what I'm trying to say at all. I'm I'm trying to be very much more like. I, I'm in this place and you're in that place and there are bridges across and we can have conversations and we can be real and honest and it's okay if at the end there we actually walk away and we're still in different places, that's fine. Um, but actually to be able to have on, open, honest conversations and be able to try and understand what position someone else is in means that you are able to go away and reflect and work it through. And actually that's how you change your mind about things. And um, that's how you actually grow and develop and push things forward. If you've just got a, a strict list of beliefs and if anyone says anything against those beliefs, you're going to reject it. That's a really unhelpful way to try and deal with, with the world. Um, even, you know, it could even be within your work, it could be within finances and anything. Like if you've got that sort of rigid structure that's unable to shift, you're, you're going to be outdated in no time. You need to be able yeah. to have loving, honest conversations, especially about stuff that's this, this crucial to kind of um our experience of spirituality and i think that's a fantastic like, i i i honestly really believe in in spirituality um i'm not saying it needs to be supernatural but i believe that we have right. within us the ability to experience the almost divine or um yeah I, I won't go too far down the road but almost so i'm i'm a big advocate of of mindfulness meditation which is a completely non-spiritual way of kind of investing in understanding your consciousness and who you are and realizing that you can actually get extremely um real with yourself to to levels that i've you know 
found utterly devastating when I've realized that, you know, I'm consistently uh, taken over by my thoughts and my feelings and unable to actually be present in the moment, even with my kids or with my mum and dad or whatever situation is like to actually be able to, to use these things to help you become a better person is, is fundamental. Um, okay, before we jump down any more, any more rabbit holes, tangents or um, valleys, mm-hmm. um, I think it'd be really good to, to kind of chat through how, how if, if you're happy to, feel free yeah. to say yeah, no, yeah. But, but talk about how, how your family goes now, how, how things are with, with all of you, obviously having a, a mum who believes and a, and, and a dad who doesn't believe must be um, d- different for your children. I know my, 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 my wife and I, Kirsty, we're, we're working this through. We've got two little boys. The eldest is five and the youngest is two. And uh, we consistently go through this process of uh what do we say to them um like is it that daddy no longer believes or is it that daddy and mummy just have different beliefs and it's just a complicated situation so it'd be really good to hear from you kind of how how you guys are navigating that if, if that's okay yeah no i think uh kids are the the one of the hardest things right and uh, i have teenagers so uh they are world-class experts at finding any weakness in between us, right? Between my wife and I (laughs) to use as leverage. Uh, And so kids will make this hard and there's just, that's just the way it is. Um, What I have explicitly stated to uh, each kid, uh, each of my daughters uh, and to my wife is that I'm much more interested in teaching them how to think than what to think. And we'll, it used to be a, a, we would do this little game when a commercial would come on, you know, we would pick apart the commercial of, you know, what is it actually saying? What, what claims is it making? You know, d- d- what, you know, does it, is there any evidence for it? Right. We would just, we would play this game. Uh, and my, both of my daughters are really interested in political science science. Uh, they, I think have been radicalized by U.S. politics, and <laughs> they can't help but see what's happening. And uh, <laughs> they are uh, they are fascinating to talk to. Uh, and you know they are m- more liberal than I am. So there are times where I'm like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> but I have created this monster. I've taught them to think on their own. They've got uh, they've got their own thoughts. When it comes to uh, spirituality, I have uh, one daughter who's a bit more of a dedicated Christian, and one who is is approaching probably agnosticism. I, I don't know where she would say she's at exactly, uh, but, uh, and I don't want to put words in her mouth either, uh, but, you know, much more questioning. Um, I think this hurt my wife early on. I think that was, that was hard. It could sometimes feel like the three of us against her. So I had to work at not allowing that to take place when I could see the teenagers coming <laughs> with their leverage to say, no, you know, I'm not going to, participate in that, that kind of thing, uh, and let them have that argument out. Um, uh, she and the girls for a long time would do, uh, you know, not necessarily a Bible study, but they would do like an on, you know, some online Bible, uh, uh, actually I'll mention it specifically. Tim Mackey has the Bible project. Uh, it's actually really decent. If you're, if you're into amazing. the Bible, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty and good. Tim Mac- uh, Tim Mackey stuff is the bomb. Like, I, yeah. love, it. <laughs> I love exactly. it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So they like, will occasionally. Is, I, I, I would love to give him a hug. He's just an yeah. absolute dude. Like, <laughs> top notch. Yeah. Talk about somebody I'd like on the podcast. I'd love to talk to yeah. Tim. Tim, if you're listening. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I would. That's amazing. He's like classroom sessions you could sign up for and like they'd pay for travel. I was like, flipping neck. 100% fine <laughs> for that. I, I, I'll, I'll get a plane over to Portland. It'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so they will do, you know, that kind of thing and generally kick me out of the room and I just respect that, right? I'll let, let, let them do that. 
so what I've also expressed to my kids in particular is I will drive you to church. I will, you know, if you need a Bible, I'll buy you a Bible, you know, whatever you want for your spirituality, I'm going to back you up. And, and then in the quiet times when we are together and chatting about sometimes completely tangential things, the topic can come up and it comes up naturally and honestly. And, uh, and, you know, we've had some, some, not a lot, but one, one or two really good conversations where I can be honest about this is where I'm at. And, um, uh, you know, I just don't feel the need to use them as a wedge, uh, you know, to make my point, uh, it, right. Uh, I, again, it's just respecting the autonomy of my wife and each of my daughters and, and loving them for who they are, including their beliefs. And something I, I also want to ask is literally all the questions. There we go. It's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've heard a lot of people say this. Um, going back to Tim Mackey being a dude, this is something he said as well. Um, but yeah. the, the person of Jesus was was so attractive. Like yeah. when you read the New Testament, you were like, that guy is, there's something about yeah. him, like the character of Jesus. And I'm just, yeah, at what point, because obviously you are where you are now, at what point did the, the balance between that and the critical thinking slash whatnot what what caused that balance to shift do you see what i mean between because right. because that would be a question that my wife would probably ask if she listens to this um would be yeah when was that point because if you're focused on the person of jesus was amazing at what point did the person of jesus no longer outweigh the other stuff that was going on right right does that make sense as a question yeah yeah let me start by saying that you know i think that jesus is a humanist right right i think that that what i was was drawn to was the humanism within the teachings of Jesus. It is what I think is important today. Uh, and it, again, it boils down to caring about people. Uh, when I talked about the, the the last days reading Greta Christina, there was kind of simultaneously the last doctrine that I held on to. And I have this post where I talk about, uh, I'm still a... Um, a literalist on one thing, on one topic, I'm still a fundamentalist, and that is the resurrection. If the resurrection happened as stated on the tin, to use a British saying, uh, you know, Jesus literally died, literally was in the grave for multiple days, literally rose from the dead, literally rose uh, into heaven, then we should all be Christ Christians, right? If if the resurrection is true, we should be Christians. Uh, what as a, along that journey for me, looking at the apologetic arguments, one of the things that I started to see the fatal flaw in was the special pleading about the story of the resurrection. In every other religious context, and, and I like to point out the modern ones, so think about Mormonism, think about Scientology, uh, think about um, Sai Baba, uh, think about uh, David Koresh, what have you, I any, any religious context, uh, in the modern day, we just throw it out immediately, right? <laughs> you don't spend any psychic energy uh, concerned about whether or not Sai Baba is truly uh, performing miracles uh, because of Hinduism, right? Like you don't care about, you don't worry about that at all. Uh, and it's a, when we look at uh, 
history at a historical document like the New Testament, every other historical document of a similar age or younger, we have at least some modicum of skepticism. We just don't take the miracle claims as given. Uh, And so this is where I disagree with some of our mythicist friends. I think mythicism, the idea that Jesus didn't exist, that a man named Yeshua, who was a preacher, uh, who was a Jewish preacher, didn't exist. I think that while maybe true, it just misses the point, right? It's th- That is not the interesting thing. I can grant, and I've had this conversation with apologists, I can grant you the non-supernatural element, all of them, all of the non-supernatural elements of the New Testament gospel story of Jesus, up to and including a crucifixion and an empty tomb, and still say it is a huge leap to say, resurrection occurred. But even if you take that on faith, even if you believe that occurred on faith, that's wonderful. I can't follow you there. But the 2,000-year-old document that <laughs> that was A, a hagiography uh, um, told by anonymous writers, was edited incessantly. It was only canonized 300 years later. There's very, very little external uh, corroboration until after the first century, um, to be fair, in the early 100s, uh, but still not during Jesus's lifetime. And to base your entire belief system on that evidence is, is you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And I just recently had this conversation with Randall Rouser, who is a, a, an apologist, and I pointed out another podcast by uh, Ian Mills and Laura Robinson, and they are both believers very much believers, but they are New Testament scholars and they point out that you cannot use the New Testament as evidence for the resurrection. And the reason is pretty simple because if you lower the bar to there without special pleading, then all religious claims and all religious texts for all of human history are on the same level. Uh, and, And you easily dismiss the claims of Hinduism, the claims of Islam, the claims of maybe some of the supernatural elements of Buddhism, uh, of you don't worry about Zeus being mad at you, right? Like, and I know these these come across as trivial, and and you're thinking, well, obviously not. That is the point. <laughs> Your obviously not reaction is the point, and yet we take as given that this story of the resurrection is true in all of its facets. Uh, And you can only do that by faith. Uh, You cannot do that because of the evidence such as we have it. I completely agree. I think this is a big thing that I've really, really struggled with is that idea of how do we know that these things happened other than the hope that we have that these things happened? It doesn't seem to... I, we we have to insert things or believe things on non-evidence to get to the point of fundamental belief um, in the complete picture that Christianity requires you to believe. Um, and if you don't believe this complete picture, and we've had these conversations on on other podcast episodes, I know, but there's this there's this question around kind of what makes you in and out of Christianity, what means what what means you're going to go to heaven, what means you're going to go to hell, what means that you can lead a church, what means that you can lead a small group, or just be involved with and like and help on an alpha table, or um, you know what I mean? There's there's, there's so many kind of um, questions that get brought around your belief specifically 
designed around the church that you're attending as well so yeah, i know i know um david well, I think we mentioned on the podcast but i know you went to aog bible college much like me um yeah. so that's that's assemblies of god so there's there's a, a, a set of doctrines or beliefs that assemblies of god would have where other kind of like for us maybe um kind of church of england or uh, for us all of us like catholicism wouldn't necessarily adhere to all of those principles of faith um sure uh, most of them but there are there are differences within those denominations and if, if you don't believe specific things about specific doctrines is this in or out and then when it comes to big things like you mentioned the resurrection of jesus like that's as a fundamental right i mean you could probably get away with not believing in the virgin birth but if you don't believe in the resurrection there is a there's a, a stark problem unless you're a mythicist um right. much like um N.T. Wright wrote a book with him. What was he called? Uh, Marcus Borg. Um, so he was a really famous, um, he's passed away now, but he, he was a really famous um, New Testament um, scholar who was a mythicist. So he believed that Jesus' uh-huh. resurrection was non-bodily. His spirit rose. So they talk in, I think it's a who, who is Jesus or two visions, something like that. It was a, a really right. famous book with N.T. Wright and Marcus Borg. And they kind of go back and forth on Jesus. And they talk about, you know, if there was a camera there, would you see the literal figure of Jesus rise up? Um, or would it just be a, he disappears and it's just kind of this spiritual thing um so yeah so it's a it's a fascinating conversation um okay can i, can I respond to a couple of things there uh so, yeah. so two th- two things one uh a, a stupid novel that i read uh early in my christianity uh was uh terry goodkin's uh wizard's first rule and i'm, I'm sorry to geek out here but the it, it was very simple it was basically saying uh, people will believe anything uh, as long as they want it to be true. And a converse one that was they they uh, won't believe anything that they don't want uh, to be true. And that haunted me really throughout my entire Christianity. I could never escape that in my mind. I want this thing to be true. Am I, am I just saying that it's true because I want it to be so? Or do I do I have reason? Do I have real justification for for believing this? That haunted me till the my last day as a Christian. Uh, the uh, I I think we have. I'm sure that I currently have things that I believe just because I want them to be true. But it is the process of recognizing that and and letting go of those things that don't have evidence that can be a painful difficult process but it is a rewarding one uh something i don't think we've mentioned yet it's just how freeing it feels to be on the other side uh, i felt like i was spinning plates i was i was maintaining the belief uh and the minute i let go of that it was uh, this sense of uh relief of of just uh, you know, like I had been fatigued forever and all of a sudden I felt refreshed. <laughs> uh, and it was because I was expending all this mental energy to make sure that, uh, you know, I was believing the right things and that I was holding it all together. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. And um, I don't just use the word interesting because it's the catchphrase. I use the word interesting because I think <laughs> I think there there is so much in here that I I what's the classic christian uh phrase like um i i echo um or i yeah. uh, i i feel like there's um there's so many similarities between your story and dave's story and my story and i'm sure many, many listeners story um where they and i yeah just have a real sense that you, you're you're someone that's really looking at this from a um 
not completely, but definitely objective viewpoint where you're going to other individuals and asking them what their story is. And then you're sharing your story and you're bringing those two things together. And I think that's a really healthy thing to do because in doing that, you're able to, um, I guess, strip away some of the kind of the, the, almost like the personal reflections and actually go, well, what is it that actually made me stop and go, oh no, this isn't real. And what is it that actually made me begin those questions and actually being able to to bring along other people's stories in that mix, you begin to almost like create this like um, mental graph of, of how a deconversion occurs and how these things can be um, walked through. And I think this is, this is the big thing. Like, I know when I first started talking to you, I was, I was in the very kind of final, final stages of my, of my big deconversion. And um, we, we see a lot of our stories in these stories. And I think that's a really important thing for us. And I know I mentioned stories before on, on, on the podcast and the blog post and all that, but stories are the thing that drive us forwards. I think as, as, as a human race, like we have, I believe since the dawn of humanity looked up at the stars and gone, what does this all mean? And I imagine that before the first actual homo sapien was on the planet, the, 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 the animals, if you want to call them that, that were before us were also asking similar questions. And um, I think these questions and these observations are really important for us to push forwards. Um, anyway, so before I go on a massive preach, um, are there any kind of closing thoughts or um, comments that you want to share with us, David? I really, I just wanted to say that I think what you guys are doing is really important as well. Um, and, uh, and then, yes, I think our stories resonate a lot. <laughs> uh, and it is, in fact, these human stories that I think are uh, what can change people's minds. And again, the idea of brutal honesty for me is so important of, you know, I'm not trying to make a five point argument. I'm just, I'm just talking about the process I went through, and then when I interview people who have gone through it as well, what their experience was like, and then you can be a believer and resonate with some some part of the story, and just say, you know what, I, you know that it that does make sense, <laughs> and it's not attacking front on, right? It's just it's just saying this is what it's like to be a human being who believed and doesn't any longer. Well said, well said, and I'm sure um, I'm sure our three listeners will will want to know how to get in touch with you. Um, so what 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 are the ways to reach out, mate? <laughs> uh, I think it's many more than three. <laughs> uh, so uh, you can Google Graceful Atheist. You can Google uh, Secular Grace. Uh, you'll find the blog. The podcast is the Graceful Atheist podcast. It is on all the major platforms. I am most active on Twitter at Graceful Atheist. And if you truly want to interact with me, uh, probably email is the absolute best way to get my attention. That is uh, gracefulatheist at gmail.com. David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, let's let's continue this conversation. And uh, yeah, thank you for being on the podcast, mate. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.